0: Nature Nights on RTE Radio 1.
1: You're very welcome to Nature Nights, a week long celebration here on RTE Radio 1 of nature and biodiversity in Ireland and the people who dedicate their lives to studying and protecting our natural world. Over the coming week, we'll take you on a journey through the Irish landscape from the dark skies of North Mayo to the beaches of West Kerry and from the back lanes of Dublin City to the rich farmlands of East Limerick. And here are just some of the people and creatures we'll meet along the way.
2: Her father knew where to find her. She liked to stand among the cows. They smelled of winter and the dark.
3: They have a very acute sense of smell, so you always need to be downwind of a fox so that it doesn't get a whiff of you.
4: I think that foxes come out at night time because if they come out at night time, no one actually knows that they're out at night time.
5: This is the bee loud time, the fox-crying time, the trout-echoing
1: time. It's a gift that we have to contemplate almost every day when we wake up. We discover that miracle, almost with childlike eyes.
4: If there's a rainbow at night time, it's only grey, white and black because the sun isn't there to make them different colours. Ah, here comes the birdman. They don't know their are pollinating. They put their heads into the flower for a free drink. They're on a pub crawl.
1: If you're exposed to such time spans, you get a different perspective on your short time on earth. What I've learned and I've worked in heavily degraded systems, peatland systems, woodlands, is there is always hope with nature. There is always hope because it's ready to recolonize, it's ready to change, it's ready to reinvigorate, but we have to give it the space it needs to do that. But first tonight, a special documentary from the Mooney Goes Wild team. Waiting to tell us more, here's Derek Mooney.
0: Hello and welcome to the programme. And what better way to kick off Nature Night's Week here on RT Radio 1 than with a celebration of one of our most beloved nocturnal creatures of all, the barn owl. This gorgeous bird of prey, long a staple of Irish myths and legends, is a favourite of many of us. Yet, despite its popularity... Its population has suffered a serious decline, but as you will hear in this special documentary presented by Terry Flanagan, at long last efforts to conserve these ultimate nighttime hunters seems finally to be paying off.
5: This distinctive, you might say, unsettling call is often heard. ...on dark winter evenings and late into the night. But what is it? Is it the banshee? Or something even more mysterious? It's the blood-curdling screech of the barn owl. Everyone in Ireland knows of the barn owl, or the white owl as it's sometimes called, because of this... Ladies and gentlemen, to whom it concerns, it's The
3: Late Late Show. And here is your host, Gay Byrne.
5: But few of us have ever actually seen a barn owl in the flesh. Or should that be in the feather? I've been watching birds for many years and, until recently, all my encounters with these nocturnal hunters were brief. Then out of the blue, Brian Doyle, a regular listener to the Mooney Goes Wild programme, rang in to say that there was a family of barn owls roosting every night in a tree along the lane leading to his house in North County Dublin. Okay, guys, on aboard. On a late autumn evening, I met Brian and his son, Mark, who then took me on a journey that I'll never forget. And you tell us we're going to see barn owls. Not one, not two, not three, but possibly four. four. Yeah,
3: four barn owls. OK,
5: I've never seen this before. We're
3: very close. OK. Okay. Um, yeah.
5: It's the tree. It's this tree here. No, I'll keep going. There they are. There they are. Where? where? Oh, oh, there. oh, I can see them, yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. Oh, oh, now they're so facing they're away from us. They?
0: Yeah well if we if we make a little noise they'll... they'll no no they're just us. turning around now. They're
6: hissing I can hear them hissing. They're opening their mouths
0: at us. Okay.
5: Can we turn off the car engine then and maybe we'll... Yeah. Uh, i going to fly. I've never been as close to Barn Owls certainly for as long as this. And look. Mm-hmm. The, all the, all the four. The four that it there. Three, oh look at...
6: It's got a mouse. It's got a mouse. Look at
5: him now, he's stretching up there oh, Look, look, look And look, he's feeding He's actually, after passing something over You might get a photo of that, Brian And just as he flew in, everything went silent yeah. That's a very large field That's in, in behind
3: the hedge there Yeah. It goes way, way over So um, uh, there would be plenty of uh, food out there, I'm sure
5: Well, I must say, it's been an absolute privilege, Brian To come out tonight with you I'm delighted i enjoyed these. it. That's I was coming great. out thinking, uh, I don't think these will be here. But you were dead right.
3: And every night they're here. And, and it was great for myself and Mark here as well, because we've learned so much more now about them.
5: Well, again, it's the first time I've ever seen them so close, and it's the first time I've ever seen four together. Wonderful.
3: Yeah, great. Glad you enjoyed it.
7: But what
5: exactly is a barn owl? And how do they differ from other owls? Ornithologist Eric Dempsey has studied birds all his life and he has a special affinity with these magical creatures.
0: Owls, firstly, most people associate owls as being nocturnal. And that is true, most owls are nocturnal. But all owls have flat faces. But barn owls belong to a group of owls called tito owls and they have a heart-shaped face. And barn owls are highly specialised birds they are the ultimate nocturnal species that heart-shaped face has hard feathers around the face and they act almost like a satellite dish channeling sound into the owl's face and here's the interesting thing about barn owls one ear is higher than the other now that's an odd thing but if you ever look at an owl they're often turning their head from side to side. And what they're doing there is they're listening to where the sound is coming from. And if you can imagine that by having one ear slightly higher than the other, they're pinpointing to within an inch of where a mouse is rustling. So barn owls have this special adaptation in that they often hunt not by sight, but by hearing where the mouse is. And that is such a special thing.
5: But they also have the two eyes on the front of their head. So that gives them binocular vision so they can hunt
0: by using their eyes as well. Absolutely. All owls have this flat face and eyes at the front. And by having binocular vision as we have, they have a a poor periphery vision. That's the reason why owls are constantly turning their heads. If you see an owl sitting, they're able to turn their head through about 270 degrees. Now, it would kill us if we did that, but they have a special mechanism in their neck that doesn't cut off blood supply to the brain. And they need to do that because their periphery vision is very much like ours. If, if somebody listens to this, puts their hands out, and eventually, if you widen your hands, you can't see your hands if you look forward. So the only way you can see your hands is by turning your head left or right. Barn owls need to do that. Mm-hmm. So barn owls have incredibly acute eyesight. Amazing hearing, but the real trick is when they take off. A barn owl's wing is specially designed. Firstly, it has really soft feathers, so the feathers are very almost like down feathers. They're really soft. There's little hairs along the front of the wing, and I have a wing here, Mm. Terry, and you can see it's absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful, it's a thing of art, isn't it? It's it's it's,
5: larger than I thought it would be,
0: and they have little hairs along the front of the wing so that when the wind passes through it, it makes no sound. The tips of the feathers, as you can see, Terry, they're almost like little frayed yeah. so that when the wind passes across the back of them, there's no sound. So they're
5: silent. Oh, silent. In silent
0: wings. And I just want to demonstrate this, yeah. right? So you have a really good microphone, right. very sharp, and I'm going to flap this. In front of it? Right in front of it. That's amazing You flap that About ten times Yes I could hear nothing In nothing. the headphones here Nothing at all I could hear nothing yeah. That is the secret So they are able to Pinpoint With their hearing Where this mouse is If it's in the open They're able to see it And when they take off They're totally silent Add to that They have long legs With incredible talons And they hover silently Over where that mouse is Drop down Feet first And grab their prey they are masters of the night they really are
5: and that's not all barn owls are carnivores they feed predominantly on small mammals such as mice voles and shrews and as a consequence their digestive system is very different to ours and they have yet another adaptation which has aided their survival
8: John Lusby, Raptor Conservation Officer with Birdwatch Ireland, explains they're obviously a predator so they hunt they catch their food and it's mostly small mammals um so our furry friends it's species like rodents like brown rat like house mouse also wood mouse and also the introduced bank foal our native species of shrew which is the pygmy shrew and also an introduced species of shrew the greater white-toothed shrew
5: now you say introduced species surely you're being very very polite to them
8: because really they are invasive species that's right yeah so greater white-toothed shrew accidentally introduced and they they are classed as invasive species so obviously they're not native to Ireland they've come here accidentally and an interesting backstory. we actually discovered them through looking at the diet of barn owls discovered greater white that's true in the pellets of barn owls and so amazing discovery it was and and very took us by surprise because obviously you know we've been used to going through barn owl pellets looking at the species the same species over and over again so all of a sudden for these guys to jump out of the pellets you know was quite a shock And, and it did take us some time to figure out exactly which species it was we knew it was true because of of the shape of the skull, the, the you know, the very similar but larger to to, to the pygmy shoe in terms of the in terms of the skull. So quite a surprise.
5: Now to explain about owl pellets, because owls they're somewhat different in the way in which they feed. They take in the prey whole, they swallow it, digest it, but they don't let the food or the waste come out
8: the back end. They regurgitate it and spit it out, and we refer to this as an owl pellet. Exactly, Del- delightful, isn't it? So that, that's exactly it. They swallow their prey whole, and even it's it's amazing to watch. Even y- the young chicks in the nest, you know, if they're brought in, a you know, a large prey item like a rat, it still goes down in one. So the amazing capacity to swallow the prey, but then they break down the prey, and then they need to get rid of the the hard parts, the the skulls, the the bones, and also the the fur, which which is not new nutritious for them so they do that they form a pellet and then they cough that pellet up and it's amazing to see the pellets because the remains of the prey stay incredibly well intact mm-hmm. and by looking through the pellets you can work out what the owl has been feeding on and by looking at the skulls and the, the bones of the small mammal species so very easy to tell exactly what the birds have been feeding on
5: Okay tell me a little bit about the greater white toothed shrew then because I think you
8: discovered it first was it in County Tipperary So it was in owl pellets from a nest site in County Tipperary and was back in 2008 which is some time ago now and it was at the time it was actually I remember it was 10 pellets that we looked at from a particular nest and there was 53 greater white-toothed shrews in those pellets which is just absolutely amazing so it wasn't just a case that there was a single you know individual or two that we found at the time you know as soon as we found them we realised okay the greater white-toothed shrew seemed to be quite abundant in this area and from work at the time then and actually using barn owls by going around to other barn owl nest sites and looking at the pellets we were figuring out that the greater white the shrew were all Already at that stage quite well spread. Confined to County Tipperary at that time but still they were quite widespread within that area of Tipperary. Since then obviously Greater White Thief the Shrew have done very very well. They've tried and they're well established and they've continued to expand the range and they're actually over over most of Munster um, well into Leinster and uh, and where we are here now which is in Connacht just in North Galway. They're not very long established here only for the past three years or so but they are here and, and, and they're occurring in, in high numbers and the barn owls are not specialising on them but but are feeding to quite an extent so they would be the, the most important prey item now in the barn owl diet which is obviously a big, big change from even just a few short years ago. Owls are believed to be amongst the wisest
5: creatures on our planet. But just how smart are they really? Zoologist Dr Richard Collins. The Greeks saw the owl
3: as a very wise bird Uh, and therefore Minerva was the goddess of of reason and balance and, and justice and all that sort of thing so but the owl was a bit like that he looks like a judge it seems to me always sitting up on the bench he is very stationary. He looks at you and you look back at him, he doesn't panic and he turns the head very gently and the big eyes, he's very human, you know, big baby's eyes and the nose uh, down below, do you see. So he was obviously very wise and since he sat there listening to everything without actually doing anything, people thought, oh well... He's taking it all in and he's summing it all up, do you see? Like
5: the old (coughs) school teacher sitting up there on the desk, there's the owl on the tree and you're looking up at him.
3: Yes, yes. And there's um, a famous quotation from Hegel, you see, philosophers rather liked owls, do you know? Because philosophers felt that they were wiser than us, the common herd, sort of thing. There's a famous quotation from Hegel, who was the great 19th century philosopher. The owls only take wing at dusk, he says. Now, he's thinking that philosophers, uh, it was only after being through philosophy and so on and so forth, that you're going to be able to really understand the world. The wise owl has been looking at the world the way the philosophers have, and he has, he's finally decided, and at dusk, at dusk, and for Hegel, of course, this was the end of thought. Thought was progressing through history, and at the end of thought, it would attain total knowledge. So the, um, the owl of Minerva was going to fly at night. And not until night, indeed, it'd fly. The other thing about it is that the owl was missing all the time. He only came out at night, you see. This was a rather strange thing, because there's a dark side to the owl, you know. The owls are not just birds of great wisdom and so on. When you get to Rome, the attitude is there that they're birds of ill omen, you know. If one of these fellows landed on your roof, you were in trouble. Some, some very famous quotations in Shakespeare about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Yesterday the bird of night did sit at noonday upon the marketplace... Hooting and shrieking. You see, well, now this is the Roman attitude. The Greeks, goddess Athena, wisdom and justice and decency. The Romans, <laughs> uh, doom and gloom, bird of ill that sort of thing. Then you get to Hegel in the 19th century. And the owl of Minerva only spreads its wings when the shades of night are gathering. is at the end of philosophy and philosophizing. One gets wisdom. One gets the wisdom of the owl. That's the sort of notion he has there. The owl is one of the, uh, the, the great icons of mythology, like foxes and wolves and bears and things. They, these things embody all kinds of stuff. The fox is a kind of negative character. He's a rogue, but he's a lovable rogue. You know. <laughs> the wolf is a baddie through and through <laughs> we can't say nothing good about the wolf but the fox we have a we have a sneaking regard when it comes to foxes but on the other hand you've got the doves and they of course they're, they're angels they're all wonderful and lovely gentle and so, and so and so the owl is Similarly ambivalent. But is it wise? <clears throat> is it wise? No, it is no wiser than anything else. I, I, w- I wouldn't have thought. It's just that it reminds us of wise people, reflective people, who study carefully and come up with definitive conclusions about the world. That sort of thing. But by having such large eyes, does that not leave less room for a brain? Of course it does. I mean, physically, it is not particularly wise. But remember, there are other things too about owls that impress. One is the silent flight. You know, it's ghost-like. And the barn owl particularly, which is white, white whitish, cream-coloured, it, of course, is very ghostly. So this is the, the other side of uh, the mythology, the, the dark side of the mythology. And they can see in the dark, do you see? This appeals to the philosophers as well, because the philosophers think they're able to see in the dark when they come and herd the rest of us. And, so, Richard, is he a wise old owl? Life is about survival And the wise survive They make the right decisions Now the owls are very much with us And the barren owl, remember Is spread throughout most of the world He is a highly successful bird He's doing things right I know he's in trouble in Ireland But I hope that will all change We're hoping it will anyway The wise make the right decisions He's made the right decision And I think therefore he is wise (laughs)
4: The barn owl has a wonderful name in Irish. It's called Scraachog Relliga, the screeching one of the graveyard.
5: The barn owl, along with our other resident owl species, the long-eared owl and the short-eared owl, are native to Ireland. Biologist Aina Nilauna.
4: And, of course, people long ago in Ireland knew the bird very well. They knew where it lived. That's what the name reflects, Scracogreliga, the the screeching one of the graveyards. But if I was around in those days, Terry, and I was trying to sing, I would be described as a Scracogreliga. This was what the called women who, who had screechy singing voices and didn't sing in any kind of a sweet tone. Whereas down in Kerry, it was on Philippine, it was called the feathered one.
5: And the bar now was also associated with the banshee.
4: This is true, yes, indeed, because the banshee, of course, the banshee, the the fairy woman, was, was noted for screeching and making terrible wailing noises, particularly as a harbinger of death so that if somebody was going to die in your house and you were of a very posh respectable family, like say the, the Gormonstons who lived in North County Dublin they had a, an associated banshee with them, that the banshee would screech for several nights would be heard before the person that it was ailing was going to die, and so they probably were up at night they probably were sitting beside the person who was on their last legs, and they did hear screeching, and of course was it the banshee, or was it the, the barn owl, because it has this wonderful screeching call, the Skarakog grelige, which in fact, if you were tuned in to thinking of a banshee, you would be convinced that that is what you actually heard. So the barn owl was associated with death, with the banshee, and people decided there was no banshee, there was screeching noises, there must be a rational explanation for it. And so the, the barn owl became what was the role played by, by the banshee it's actually the barn owl who's doing the screeching which is a terrible pity I'd like to have a banshee and a barn owl actually myself
5: and was the barn owl persecuted for
4: this not in Ireland no the barn owl was not persecuted in Ireland at all because
5: it was abroad
4: yeah, because I think it was more associated with death abroad because they didn't actually have the banshee myths that we have in Ireland. So our banshee and our barn owl became intertwined. And of course, she wouldn't be doing anything bad to the barn owl in case the banshee got even more notorious. But they didn't have that conjunction between the barn owl and the banshee in other folklores and in other in other places. So the barn owl was the harbinger of death. And so if you wanted to cheat death, well, he got rid of the barn owl and then death wouldn't come. But that, that was never the case in Ireland, that was not the case. The barn owl was considered to be either the Scracog relic, a woman who couldn't sing properly, or the day you would never pay your debts.
5: Although barn owls are found throughout Ireland, they are mainly concentrated in the Midlands and southwest of the country. While driving on the old Dublin to Galway Road, Just outside June, I spotted a barn owl in the garden of a house and I just had to investigate. Hello? Hi, this is going to sound very strange, but I was driving by your house and I looked in your garden and you've got a barn owl in the garden. And you won't believe it, but my name is Terry Flanagan. I work with Derek Mooney on the wildlife programme and we're doing a documentary at the moment on barn owls.
9: That's amazing. Very nice to meet you. I'm Therese O'Reilly. Therese O'Reilly.
5: I bet you don't get people knocked at the door like this often.
9: You know, I actually do because we've become known as the house with the owl. Okay. You know, so we do get some and a lot of people taking photographs. Okay, yes. can we walk down towards do, it? Do, let's go down and we have a look.
5: But this is no ordinary barn owl. Standing well over two metres tall, its imposing frame isn't formed of feathers and flesh, rather... It's forged from iron and steel.
9: How long is it here? I think it's here about maybe five or six years. Right. That's how long it's in, it's in the garden. Yeah. And what do the locals think? they love it they you know they just think it's so unusual to have an owl in your garden yeah you because know.
5: it's a very busy road here where we are it's the Galway road isn't it
9: it's the old main Galway road it's the old N17 yeah so it is a very busy road so we have a lot of cars pulling in and taking photographs and that kind of thing you know and tell me this do you like Parnells I do. I love owls, barn owls and owls. I have a great, a special affinity with them for many, many years. Uh, Why is that? Because many years ago when I lived in New York, I saw an owl. And then when I was going through like hard times and stuff, I used to always think of the owl or there'd be a picture of an owl or there was something with an owl. I do a little bit of healing work. I have a healing room, so I do some healing work and I use kind of the energy of the owl to come out of the darkness, you know, because they can see in the dark. And who made the owl? The maker of the owl was Eugene Finnegan. So Eugene used to stop by and we were friends and I'd always say, Eugene, I have a field out there. If you make something, why don't you throw something out, make something, whenever? It took him three years, but he came with the owl. And Eugene, he's a local man, is he? Eugene is local. Um, he's from Shum itself, so I can give you his address if you want to meet him, or his number, if you want to call him. Is it his owl? That's up for debate, and maybe you'll find out the answer, because uh, you know, he's taken it a few times for festivals, but it always ends up back here, so this is home for the owl.
5: As I was in the area, I decided to pay Eugene a visit.
10: I'm sculpture, I make all sorts of stuff. Um I've made two big bulls that are and a couple of other things and uh, some friends of mine came to me and asked me would I make an owl for a promotion they were doing and um I said why not? And w- we were talking about it, and one of the girls said, Um wouldn't it be great to make it like out of a roof building got ga- old galvanized sheeting type thing and I said, Yeah, I can do that like and um I just sat down and we just worked it out and figured it out together.
5: So you made a barn owl out of an owl barn shed? That's what I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about him. It's about between six and
10: seven foot tall. Um, it's made from old um, galvanised, rusty galvanised from a farm building. Um, it was an internal frame mm-hmm. and um, it just sits there. Looking
5: out on the road, it's just there. I I just make stuff, I don't know. But it's ironic that you used an old barn building to make this.
10: The idea for using the farm building is nice because it's not as easy as people would think to make some galvanised because you can only bend it one way. So it has to be flattened out and cut into shape. And When you have the idea, I can visualize it in my head and figure out everything that I need for it and put it together in my head before I even go looking for anything. And then the hunt will start to... Find all this stuff that you can recycle. So you'll need a frame for it. Where am I going to find that? When you're going around the van or whatever, you're watching everywhere. And you'll see a rusty roof that has fell down. So you'll find out who owns that and you go in and get that. And you'll find some metal someplace else and you go in and you'll get that. And It's a great talking point. I can go anywhere and sort of... If somebody doesn't know me, or they're a bit doubtful about me, I just say, did you ever see the owl on the N17? And say, yeah. And um, I said, I made that and it's a complete game changer in the conversation then as well. Like, you know, so that's how it came about. Um, barn owls, it's just a nice, wise old owl sat in the oak type thing, you know. Um, it's just a nice thing to make. And, you know, we just make rubbish and dump it on the side of the road all over the county Galway.
5: <laughs> that's what I basically do. <laughs> barn owl numbers have fluctuated. Once... A familiar sight across Ireland, the species has faced many threats and has suffered a decline, as Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland explains.
6: The Barn Owl is actually one of the most widely distributed land birds on the whole surface of the Earth. They're very widespread across the planet, but that's not necessarily the same thing as saying that they're common, because nowhere are they in very high density, so they're very wide range, but very often they're in a very low density. Having said that, they are found on all of the continents apart from Antarctica, and there's very few birds that can claim that. So this widespread range means that on a global sense, or in a global sense, it's a species that isn't under threat. Certainly local populations under threat, some of the different subspecies are threatened, but globally it's thought there's a population of estimated around 10 or 11 million individuals, which is very high, and actually make it the, the most numerous bird of prey on the planet. But again, very widespread, so it's not an easy bird to see anywhere. In Europe, estimates vary quite a bit, but it's thought there's anywhere between 100,000 and 250,000 breeding pairs across Europe. Throughout North America, where the species also occurs, there's around about 2 million breeding pairs of the species. Uh, estimates for places like Australia, South America, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, much harder to get, but it's it seems to be relatively numerous in certain areas where the habitat is right. They don't like high-altitude mountains, they don't like extensive forests, they like open grasslands, prairies, plains with scattered trees and of course buildings or caves or tree cavities where they can nest. And it's also a species that doesn't do terribly well in cold climates. So it's strangely absent from almost all of Russia. It's a bird that's just absent from vast swathes of Siberia and all across there through the northern parts of China it's missing. Scandinavia, there's very few owls in Scandinavia, they don't get very far north at all. It seems that cold is a real limiting factor for the species. How are they doing here in Ireland? they've had a a really rocky trajectory here in Ireland. It's a species that was once relatively common. It obviously benefited greatly from uh, human changes to the landscape with the onset of agriculture and the felling of forests. That would have benefited that species a lot. It was a disaster for many other birds, but for the baronel it would have been quite good. However, in recent years they've been hit quite badly by a couple of really difficult factors for them. One is the the lack of availability of nest sites, and that has really limited where they can nest. Traditionally the bird would nest in farm outbuildings and places like that, and modern farm buildings have fewer uh, entrance holes where the birds can get in there's fewer ledges where they can build their nests or so it's been harder for them to find nesting spots there and even traditional sites like old ruined castles and, and buildings like that old churches even those have fallen into quite a state of disrepair so the good news about that is that's easy enough to fix because nest boxes will work really well in that regard and that's had a real benefit for the species and so actually the last two years have been the best on record for breeding barn owls within Ireland we know of at least a hundred pairs currently using nest boxes in the country the other big issue they've been facing it's harder one to tackle and that's the impact of rat poisons. A species that relies almost exclusively on feeding on small mammals is going to be very prone to being poisoned by rat poison, the secondary poison. And it's not necessarily the case that a barn owl will eat a poisoned rat or mouse and then immediately kill over dead. What happens is, over time, those toxins build up in its body, becomes less fit, so less well-able to care for its chicks, more lethargic when hunting, and it also seems that what they'll do then is some of them will uh, take the easy option of hunting alongside roads, because it's easy, easy for them to find prey there, easier than it would be in the wider countryside, but then unfortunately that means that they're more likely to come into contact with traffic, and so road casualties seem to be a major source of mortality in Ireland, and that may well be driven, at least to some extent, by the amount of poison that's in their systems. So it's been complex in Ireland, but thankfully in the last couple of years we have seen a resurgence, trying to limit the use of rat poisons, make more responsible use of rodenticides essentially, so that um, of course what will happen then is when the barn owls move back in, they're the most effective form of rodenticide that we have. So we're finding actually that when um, barn owls recover in an area, people, uh, especially farmers, tend to need to use a lot less rat poison because the birds are doing the job for them. And then the provision of nest boxes too is starting to change that balance as well. So only time will tell, but after a, a very difficult a few years it looks like things may be on the up finally but overall
5: their numbers are very very low here you're talking about literally hundreds of birds is there even a thousand barn owls in Ireland
6: it's very hard to get figures that are accurate from Ireland uh, when we normally count breeding pairs. So we can say that there are several hundred breeding pairs but whether that amounts to a thousand individuals is hard to say. There would be some young birds that don't breed but owls are actually surprisingly short-lived birds. They live on average for no more than three or four years if they manage to make it to their first birthday. Most of them die within their first year and the mortality of the chicks is so high that um, it really gives them very little opportunity to, to replenish their numbers when they disappear from an area. So difficult to get a full assessment of the population because they're so secretive and hard to monitor we can really just count the breeding pairs we know of and we know that there are a few hundred is probably the best we could say
5: and have we any idea at what numbers they peaked at here in Ireland?
6: We don't. We can only really make educated guesses as to that because birds... We'll, survey- we'll, we'll make the guess. Yes. <laughs> well, bird surveying is a fairly recent phenomenon, at least, and, and barn owls are very difficult to survey. It would stand to reason that obviously when agriculture was a lot less intensive, when there were more rickety farm outbuildings and so on, that the species would have done pretty well. So I'd say that we, Ireland would certainly have been home to probably several thousand pairs of barn owls, so the population would have dropped quite a lot. But that's back in the days when use of poisons wasn't widespread and there's plenty of nesting sites and, and very little persecution of the bird as well. But that's really the best that we can, we can hazard a guess at.
5: In Ireland, there are fewer than 1,000 barn owls. But as Niall says, things are improving. Recovery will be slow and will only happen with the continued help of
8: dedicated people like Niall's Birdwatch Ireland
5: colleague, John Lusby.
8: I started working on Barnalls back in 2006, so quite quite a, a long time ago now and I would say things have changed significantly since that time. I remember back in the early days of focusing on owls, we, we were investing a lot of effort into surveying, into trying to find nest sites and it really was quite a, a bleak and depressing situation. I remember visiting so many absolutely ideal sites for owls, particularly ruined stone structures, which are perfect nesting sites for owls, and just no signs of birds and hearing quite often stories from farmers that birds once would have nested at these sites but they haven't seen them in the last 10 or 15 years. And, and- why do you think that was so? Well like many uh, farmland birds in Ireland they, they have suffered largely due to changes in agriculture changes in farming practices and barn owls over the last 50 years or so they've been on a continuous slow population decline and, and it really kind of hit the kind of lowest point there about 10 years ago and it was particularly the case in certain parts of the country so Munster really remained to be the stronghold and barn owls were, you know we're holding on we're d- still doing reasonably well there but in other parts of the country you know ev- even from talking to farmers in the ground they just wouldn't have seen barn owls in 20 years or more as I say many suitable nest sites but just no sign of birds really that must have been very depressing It was and I remember even at the time it it took quite a while even to find the first nest site when we started our survey work and I remember the thrill of you know finding pellets finding signs of barn owls at the it was a castle and uh, again to compare that to now where we have so many nest sites dotted around the country it really is a remarkable turnaround and a very very different situation and it's great to be able to say that because many other farmland birds the declines have continued they're still a crisis point and you know and things have got worse whereas at barn owls thankfully things have changed for the positive. But you have done a lot to improve that not just
5: you but you and lots of other dedicated people by putting in barn owl nest boxes.
8: Absolutely, and there's been a range of conservation measures that we have implemented. Nest box has been one of them, and I would say that there's such goodwill towards barn owls in Ireland, so people have really got on board to help them out and that's one of the, the easiest measures to take is to provide a safe and secure nest site to put up a owl nest box and it's been a fantastic conservation success with nest boxes actually this year we're going to reach over 150 pairs using nest boxes around the country, many of those put up by individuals, by farmers, by local conservation groups and that has been definitely a help for owls, providing uh, a suitable nest sites in suitable areas and that has been one of the, the conservation measures which has worked. Now these nest boxes, they're not just like a nest box that you put up for blue tit
5: they're a bit more complex
8: they are they're, they're quite a substantial structure y- you need to know what you're doing there's quite a bit of effort involved it's a two person job to install them and also as well with barn owl nest boxes it's all about the placement they need to be in suitable sites so areas where barn owls are naturally you know uh, investigating like old farm buildings like uh, you know ruined structures like that and also where there's suitable habitat and, and, and free from disturbance obviously we only want to put them in places where barn owls will do well and where there's sufficient prey sufficient hunting and no disturbance
5: And an unusual aspect too is that a lot of these nest boxes are placed indoors.
8: That's right, yeah. And I mean, just like their name implies, they're the the types of sites that they would naturally investigate and particularly farm buildings. And and the one thing with uh, nest boxes is that obviously ruined stone structures are ideal for barn owls. But as those buildings are being lost in the countryside and obviously, you know, more modern farm buildings are less suitable for wildlife such as, you know, hay barns, galvanised sheds. There's less opportunities for wildlife in those buildings. But that's very easy to change by putting up a nest box. And most of the nest boxes actually that we now know are used by barn owls are actually in those types of buildings, in hay barns in, in, in particular, which is fantastic because that's you know, buildings that previously weren't suitable for barn owls and now are and now they're home to, to breeding pairs. So the introduction of
5: barn owl nest boxes has been delivering results. However, there are still a number of other threats that these birds face. One being the widespread use of rodenticides but how serious is this problem?
8: I would say it's it's very serious, and not only for barn owls, but for a huge range of wildlife in Ireland. And I suppose just to to take a back step for where the problems occur with redent So obviously barn owls feed to a large extent on rodents on rats and mice and other small mammals and they can be exposed to rat poisons because of that so if you think you know people obviously put out um, rodenticides or rat poisons not to harm barn owls or other wildlife but to target specifically commensal rodents so so brown rat and house mouse but obviously these poisons can be indiscriminate so the rats and mice can feed on the poisons but then they will have the toxins in their system and if barn owls or other predators feed on them then these poisons are passed on they bioaccumulate and we carried out a study previously to look at the exposure to rodenticides in barn owls and quite quite shocking findings so we found that um, over 88 percent of the birds that we tested had rodenticides in their systems had been exposed to rodenticides so i would say it's it, it is a a, a a serious issue in the irish countryside and also as well not only for barn owls but for a wide range of of wildlife
5: One way farmers can overcome this poison problem is to encourage barn owls to nest on their land. By doing so, the owls will remove the need for poisons. After all, they are nature's own rodenticide and a stunningly effective one at that. Nicky Murphy is a farmer in County Kilkenny. He recently discovered barn owls on his land and has encouraged them to stay by providing them with their own nest box. So what has he noticed since their arrival?
7: Well, the difference to me is I don't use any redenticide since we discovered we had the owls because uh, secondary kill is a a big thing with owls. So we give up using the redenticide. Now, would you have been using much rodenticide a year? Uh, we were using two and a half, ten kilo buckets every that's a, year. That's a fair amount. That's a lot of uh, rodenticide, And we gave it up and we actually have less vermin on the farm now than we had then because... Before the owls were here, we, we would see vermin in the daytime. Now we don't ever see vermin. That's very good for you then on the farm. It, it, oh, it is, yes, it is. If you let nature come to itself, it will balance itself out. And where you have a lot of meal, uh, you have meal and, and feeders and things, you'll always have vermin. But I have seen owls resting on gates in the yard and things, and they're hunting. They're right. doing the work That's you don't need to if you have owls. And of course, where you are, your house is
5: literally 50 metres from that nest box. So apart from the good that they're actually doing, you can
7: sit in in the evenings and you can watch them. Well, I can sit on my couch and look at the owls out through the window of the front of my house. They're that close that you can see them going in and out, no problem. And the amount of uh, vermin that they bring in in the night time is fascinating. You'd see them there because we have sensor lights on the front of the house and sometimes the lights had cut on and you'd see the owls going in with the food hanging out of their mouth. And do you ever find the owl pellets? You'd find the owl pellets under the nest box, when to be rearing the chicks in it, and they, you'd see what they're eating as well, because you'd, you'd discover the little bones, what they'd be eating, and our owls here are feeding on the white-toothed shrew an awful lot.
5: Oh, so you've plenty of white-toothed shrew here.
7: Yes, but like the little pellets, you wouldn't believe it. They're, they're all the little bones, yeah. they're they're magnifying glass bones, if you want to call And I have video on my phone of the parents bringing in uh, seven prey items into the chicks in five minutes. So they're really doing good here on the farm for you? Oh yes, they're hunting the whole time. And they would have been catching them here on your land? Oh yes, on the land, yes. And that again helps to reduce the amount of redenticide that you have to use? Well I don't use any redenticide now, zero redenticide on the farm. And the brother in the piggery doesn't use it either. Do you hear them squealing? Oh yes, so when you go out in the nighttime there, you'd hear, you'd hear the Pacific squeal. And people used to say years ago, oh did you hear the banshee? But it wasn't the banshee, it was the owl was making the high-pitched squeak. And could you actually see the owl when the owl is making this sound? Sometimes you would see them in the trees there and they'd be calling to one another. But when the owl is bringing in food, you would hear the chicks squealing for the mother. And you would get a very high vocal point at that stage. So
5: if you're sitting in your sitting room and you hear this sound, you know it's time. Look out the window.
7: Yeah, the mother is coming with food. And they were successful in fledging this year? Yes, they were successful this year. How many fledged? We had four fledged this year. They're gone only about three weeks now at this stage. And they were in the trees all around the place every evening. And during the winter, would you see them on the farm? Yes, you would. When i go out, I would be watching for them. If you're not observant of owls, unless they fly in front of you, you won't see them. You won't know what to look for. Mm-hmm. And where would you see them on the farm? Would you see them indoors or outdoors? Or? You'd see them in trees or you'd see them on a ledge or on the roof or somewhere like that. So it's a big bonus for you to have these owls then on the farm? Oh yes, it is a huge bonus. Besides what good they're doing to keep the vermin down on the farm they're so therapeutic to look at there's there's something special to see them and you can see something moving but there is no sound whatsoever it is fascinating
5: another serious issue that barn owls face is road deaths to understand why these birds suffer so many collisions with motor vehicles birdwatch ireland teamed up with transport infrastructure ireland ecologist sarah-jane phelan
11: on our network, we managed the National Road Network and we noticed increased roadkill incidents involving barn owls, particularly on the M8. So we did this collaborative project with Birdwatch Ireland to really gain an understanding of why there were so many incidents of these barn owls being killed, particularly on the M8, and what was encouraging them to come towards the roads, how they were interacting with the roads, and really just to gain an understanding of why this was happening, particularly in this spot. And what have you learned from it? What we learned actually was really interesting is that the owls are being attracted to forage in the roadsides because of the abundance of small mammals on the roadsides. So it's just naturally a nice spot for them to feed, but obviously it's dangerous. But also an interesting result of the study was that we found that breeding pairs weren't actually being affected. I mean, it is an area with a large population of barn owls, but it doesn't seem to be having an impact on the actual population in that area.
5: So what did you do?
11: One of the most interesting aspects of the research was we used GPS trackers attached to the birds, which had never been done before in Ireland, so we had to get that um, under licence from MPWS, permissions to do that. And it was amazing to see how the barn owls were actually interacting with the roads, how they were using the roads for foraging. They were travelling up and down, they were crossing over. They really had no problems. In terms of the traffic, it wasn't putting them off. But obviously it it was leading to this problem of some binouns were being were being hit
5: and with the knowledge that you gained i presume that helped you to develop the infrastructure of the roads
11: well essentially now because we have this evidence based knowledge so we have the, we have the research we have the results we can see what the barn owls are doing and how they're interacting with the roads we can now implement mitigation to try and prevent these collisions so we don't want to prevent the birds from using the roads as a foraging resource because it's important obviously it's important for biodiversity but we just want to reduce the risk of collisions and make it safer for the users of the roads and obviously the barn owls as well and so, how
5: is it safer now for the owls
11: well going forward from for all national road projects we have new guidance that must be followed in the planning of any project and anything any mitigation measures that are put in place will have to be monitored to make sure they're working as as they should be what
5: measures then have been initiated
11: so one of the most important measures we hope that will make a big difference is the implementation of natural screening on the roadside so this will just basically create a barrier that it will encourage the birds to fly at a greater height across the carriageway thereby reducing the risk of collisions with vehicles
5: and when do you hope to implement this
11: well in any national road projects going forward now this has to be taken into account at the planning stage and wherever it is implemented this has to be Part of any project now. It has to be consideration in any landscape treatments. Monitoring will have to be carried out. So, post construction monitoring, and that might include road casualty surveys, just to keep an eye on the numbers. We have no results as yet, but we're hopeful in the future that we'll be able to see a reduction in these incidents across the the National Road Network.
5: We know that the three main issues that have affected Barn Isle numbers are now being addressed. The key solutions are the provision of appropriate nest sites the reduction of rodenticide use and the implementations of plans to reduce collisions on our motorways. These appear to be having the desired effect, with barn owl numbers slowly increasing throughout the country.
8: So we're just outside. You can see the, this rune here, Terry. And this is a traditional barn owl nest site. They've nested here for, for many years. You can see it's, a, it's an ideal, ideal nest site. Now, we're just on the outside room. Inside, behind that wall,
5: there's a family. And how I know that is because even though we're not going to go in, I'm looking at it on your computer. That's right, the wonders of modern technology, isn't it? On a beautiful summer's evening, John Lusby brought me to the ruin of an old 18th century country home in County Galway. Here, conservationists are using the very latest CCTV equipment to monitor the owls during the breeding season. By understanding how barn owls feed and rear their young, scientists will be better able to manage the species in its natural environment
8: so they're down a chimney and you can just see now they're all huddled together there so they're just starting to become active for the night right. and uh, yeah so ideal nest site, nicely tucked away. These birds now they're about midway developed so they're about, these guys yeah. are about 40, 40 the, days old. They're a little bit fluffy but I can certainly see that lovely brown kind of sheen now the one thing I notice is that one of them is a lot bigger than the others. That's right and that's typical of barnels. You, you always see an age difference between yeah. chicks because they hatch at different stages so there's typically about three days between chicks so you You can see here there's quite a difference between the oldest and the youngest. The youngest still has almost the full cover of down, whereas the oldest is starting to look like a proper barn owl. It's shed, a lot of it's down, so quite a difference in age. Now, they're very content there because I presume they can't hear us. They can't, no, so we're well set back from the the nest site now, and also as well, as you can see, it's quite deep down the chimney, so they can't see us, they're not at all bothered by us, but we can still watch them, and, and, and it's a fantastic way to view their behaviour, to view the adults coming and going as well. Now you're very lucky to have a camera on a nest like this. Do you have cameras on many nests throughout the country? We would do at different stages yeah and it again it allows us to monitor them without actually visiting the nest a really you know non-invasive way of keeping an eye on them learning more about them what they're feeding on and also as well you know just getting information on their breeding the number mm-hmm. of chicks. Just so look at that one sorry if I cut
5: across just look at that one there now he's actually that's the bigger one he's actually stretching there.
8: That's right and you can see that because they're getting to that stage they're starting to think about leaving the nest so and, and obviously now they're starting to become active because it's just they're on the different a, a different time pattern just because the sun is just setting they're starting to wake up they're starting to become active soon the adults will be back with food so now is the time that they're going to start soon vocalising so to do the calls. adults
5: leave them during the
8: day they do yeah so when the younger this stage of development and this old the female will roost elsewhere she'll leave the nest site mm-hmm. and because they can now can take care of themselves in terms of they're, they're old enough to fend for themselves they, they can swallow prey whole now so they don't need her there so she's now out hunting at night and and similar to the male to catch food to bring back enough food because if you think about it the nights are still quite short they've only a few hours really and to feed three hungry mouths they'll need to be back they'll be back up to 15 20 times with prey with small mammals and of course
5: you don't want to be here at that
8: time you don't want to disturb them no exactly so and that's Mm -hmm. why you know the nest cameras are an ideal way of monitoring them without any any risk of disturbance the one worry i would have there just looking at your video footage
5: is is there any chance they could fall out that opening
8: that's actually there's a little bit of light getting in yeah. but it's actually a very small opening so so there is no risk at this nest site but it is a very good question because it is actually a problem for barn owls. unfortunately they're quite prone to falling out of nest sites at nest sites where they're not well protected and and we have noticed that at quite a few different nest sites and we've had to make repairs to those nest sites to secure the nests to prevent them from falling out and that's another reason why nest boxes can be really beneficial because obviously they're designed to reduce the risk of birds falling mm-hmm. out so it means that they're safe nest sites but at this particular nest it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a problem and they they are quite deep down that chimney
5: well they certainly look very content the three of them there
8: they do indeed and uh, because we have actually already ringed these three chicks so you know we've been able to look at them up close take some measurements take their weights they're all very good and healthy so hopefully now these three birds they're they're not actually that far from from fledging as you say, as you could see there that yeah. bird how
2: you long, know just how stretching
8: think? so in about 2 weeks time now they'll be yeah. they'll be venturing so how out how long do the they world. spend in the nest in total they're at 60 days about in the nest a, yeah it is time. it's a very long breeding season and as you mentioned you know imagine birds that go twice have have two broods you know yeah. that's you know, almost half the year where they're you know actually in breeding mode and where they're you know looking after chicks so yeah they, they develop slowly and, and you know when the chicks hatch they're helpless they're small they're pink whereas you know with other birds they're you know as soon as they hatch they're up and they're about and they're they're feeding whereas with barn owls they start off life they're helpless and they develop quite slowly but now as you can see these guys they're about 40-45 days old so not that long to go they're starting to look like proper owls <laughs> like adult owls Will you be sad when they're gone? Well it, it's always it, it's always good to see them go because there can be mortality they're, you know that you can lose chicks in the nest particularly say for example when there's bad weather spells of bad weather there just mightn't be enough prey coming back to the nest and that does happen so it's always good to see them fledge and good to see them leave the nest but with that comes risks as well because then they're they're not relying on the adults anymore they're fending for themselves they have to learn to hunt for themselves and uh, and, and, and tough times ahead for um there's one there you yeah. hear them. so you just hear in the background that's one of the adults coming now so okay. they're obviously starting to starting to to become active and starting to go out hunting. So we better, yeah, we'll move leave them back well, we'll, we leave them well enough alone. Them. Exactly, yeah, yeah, and we can watch them. We can watch them from a bit, bit further back on the, on the camera.
5: Life for these three barn owls has only just begun. If the circumstances are favourable, in time these youngsters too will reach maturity and breed, helping to stabilise the population here in Ireland. These birds are not just beautiful to look at, they are crucial to the success of our ecosystems. By helping these mysterious creatures of the night, we are helping a whole suite of other animals as well as ourselves. More barn owls means less rat poison, which means fewer toxic chemicals in our environment, which means more opportunities for other species to thrive, which in turn means more barn owls. The loss from an area of an apex predator such as the barn owl sitting at the top of its food chain is a sign that something in the local environment has gone awry. It is a clear indication that biodiversity has become depleted, that conditions for all the other organisms in that area are worsening. Its return is something to celebrate, Undeniable proof that a wrong is being righted, that there is a cause for optimism, that if just given a fighting chance, nature can bounce back. Long feared as a harbinger of death in Ireland, we now see the Barn Owl in a very different way. It's really a herald of life, a feathered symbol of a healthy environment and a reason for hope. It may be a bird that will forever be associated with darkness but it's also a source of light.
1: special documentary was presented by terry flanagan and produced by derek mooney you can listen back to all of our nature nights programs on our website rte.ie forward slash radio one and follow the links to nature nights tomorrow evening from 10 we'll be heading west to mayo to meet one of the custodians of ireland's natural heritage we'll also be learning about the secret lives of nocturnal plants and the pollinators they rely on
7: it is apparent
3: that moths are busier pollinators than the, the day shift of,
8: of bees. Ah,
4: no, but they're, they're only busy looking for food, they're looking for nectar. They don't know they're pollinating. They put their heads into the flower for a free drink, they're on a pub crawl. And because the pub doesn't have enough in any one particular pub, they have to go from one to the next. And they bring their hairy head covered in pollen by accident from one to another.
1: And we'll be listening to those pub-crawling moths as they gather around the dwindling evening light. But tonight, we're going to end with a poem. It's Halloween night, and of course, that marks the onset of a darker, colder season. From her collection, When the Tree Falls, poet Jane Clark reads, When winter comes.
2: When winter comes, Remember what the blacksmith knows. Dim light is best at the furnace. To see the colours go from red to orange to yellow. The forging heat that tells the steel is ready to be held in the mouth of the tongs. And it's time to lengthen and narrow with the ring of the hammer on the horn of an anvil. To bend until the forgiving metal has found its form. Then file the burrs, remove sharp edges, smooth the surface, polish with a grinding stone, and see it shine like gold.
0: Nature Nights on RTÉ Radio 1